ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا اما بعد my dear brothers and sisters in islam Today's khutbah will summarize the very first piece of advice that our Prophet Muhammad gave when he entered the blessed city of Medina. When our Prophet emigrated from Mecca to Medina, realized that the majority of Medina was still pagan, perhaps less than 20% of the city was Muslim at the time. And our Prophet ﷺ came and the people were excited. They wanted to hear the message of Islam. They wanted to know what is this new teaching. The majority of Muslims had never seen the Prophet ﷺ. The majority of non-Muslims were interested, intrigued. What is this new man? What is his message? So as he entered the city, the first mini khutbah, the first mu'ibah, the first advice that he gave is essentially preaching what is the reality of Islam. And that advice should be foremost in our minds as well. That what is the religion of Islam all about? And we should compare ourselves and our priorities and our da'wah and our methodologies in light of this simple hadith that the Prophet ﷺ is introducing Islam to the people of Medina. And this hadith is narrated by a very interesting Sahabi who happened to be the chief rabbi of Medina. And he narrated this hadith and he heard it as a non-Muslim. He heard the hadith as he's the rabbi. And the hadith causes his own conversion to Islam. So the hadith is also the cause of Islam of the narrator of this hadith. And his name is Abdullah ibn Salam. His name is Abdullah ibn Salam, who was the chief rabbi of the city of Medina. And the hadith is reported in Tirmidhi with an authentic isnad. Abdullah ibn Salam said, I was of those who were eagerly awaiting the arrival of the new prophet to hear what he had to say. And so I was amongst the first batch to come and greet him. The first group of people that are waiting for the Prophet ﷺ to come. And Abdullah bin Salam said, And I looked upon his face. I gazed upon his countenance. And I knew that this face was not the face of a liar. Simply looking upon the prophetic face ﷺ. Simply gazing upon the nobility of the beauty of the face of the Prophet ﷺ was enough of a conversion reason for Abdullah ibn Salam. And we firmly believe as Muslims, we firmly believe 
that there are perceptions beyond our eyes and nose and mouth and ears. There are perceptions that are spiritual in nature. In Arabic, the word is firasa. Firasa is a spiritual intuition. Your heart tells you something. And this firasa, of course, it could be right, it could be wrong. Generally speaking, the more iman and taqwa and piety you have, the more this firasa is. In English, we call it a sixth sense. There's a sixth sense. We believe this is something that Allah bestows upon the righteous people. They know something. Now this knowledge is not something you can necessarily bring as evidence in a court of law. It's a personal intuition. And the more iman and taqwa you have, the more you sense it. And Abdullah ibn Salam was a righteous man. He was a believer in Allah and the prophets. And he wanted to know whether this new prophet is truly a prophet. So he approaches him with the heart of Iman in Allah, even though he's not Muslim. And he sees the face of the Prophet And before even our Prophet can open his mouth, the face itself causes his conversion. Who amongst us can claim that type of da'wah? Only the Rasulullah has that status. To simply look upon his face, Abdullah ibn Salam said, I recognized his face could not be the face of a liar. And then I heard him say, so this is the hadith we will clarify today, we will illustrate today. And it is the entire hadith is called the hadith of Salam. Hadith of Salam. This is the title of the hadith. Because it is narrated by Abdullah ibn Salam. And it begins with Salam, and it ends with Salam. So what the Hadith is, the Hadith of Salam, narrated by Ibn Salam, begins with Salam, ends of Salam, ends with Salam. So it is called the Hadith of Peace, Hadith of Salam. What is this beautiful Hadith of Salam? Which is the first Hadith that the Prophet said when he entered Medina. Ayyuhal nas, afshu salam, wa tut'imu ta'am, wa al arham, Simple hadith. Four conditions and one answer or response to that condition. Five clauses. Four requests and then one response. If you do these four, this is what you're going to get. Simple hadith. Ayyuhal nas, O people, O mankind. The religion of Islam is not just for the Muslims. Ayyuhal nas, Medina was 80% non Muslim. Oh people, this is my message. Listen, hearken, hear and obey. This is my teaching of Islam. Ayyuhal nas, number one, afshu salam. Spread the greetings of salam. Now, each one of these points, listen to me carefully, brothers and sisters. Each one of these four points represents a bigger chapter of Islam. And each one of them is mentioned as the window, as the stepping stone, as the door to enter this big chapter. So one can say there are four fundamental pillars that every Muslim needs to be engaged with. There are four fundamental arenas that Islam deals with. And if we do those arenas, then the fifth reward will be given to us. The first of these arenas, the first of these great chambers that the Prophet introduced us to. Number one, afshu salam. Spread the greetings of salam. And the greeting of salam embodies, it signifies your interactions with other human beings. The concept of adab, of etiquette, of manners. 
So the first of the four principles, it is how you interact with other people. Because the greeting of salam is the beginning and end of all interactions. All that you interact with anybody, you begin with salam, you end with salam. And it embodies your interaction. How so? When I say as-salamu alaykum, this is the first commandment, afshu salam spread the salam, spread as-salamu alaykum. What does it mean when I say as-salamu alaykum? As-salamu alaykum means, may no harm ever touch you. May you always be in peace, in bliss. May you never suffer any agony, any pain, any discomfort. So you make a dua for your brother, your sister, when you meet them, and you say, may peace envelop you. Now, if you truly said salam from the heart, not from the tongue, if you truly said salam, meaning it and not just verbalizing it, how could you verbalize assalamu alaikum and then steal from the very person who you said salam to? How could you say salam and then backbite? How could you say salam and then slander? How could you say salam and then backstab? If you truly said salam from the depths of the heart, society would be in a state of salam. How else will peace be achieved? Unless and until you genuinely wish for your brother and sister, assalamu alaikum. May no harm ever touch you. May you never be in any discomfort. So the greeting of salam embodies mu'amala, embodies adab, embodies etiquette. The first of the four pillars, make sure that you interact with others in the cleanest of hearts, in the best of manners. You're always wanting good for them. You greet them with salam, you mean the salam, and you say salam to them by saying salam. So the first of these, afshu salam, spread the salam. And our Prophet was asked, ayyul islami afdal, which Islam is the best Islam? And he said that the best Islam is to say the salam upon those whom you know and those whom you don't know. This is the best Islam. You give salams to everybody because that is how peace will be spread in society. This is the first of the four. As I said, each one of these indicates something far bigger than it. So afshu salam indicates etiquettes, adabs, manners. Number two, ta'am. Feed the hungry people. Feed the hungry people. And feeding the hungry indicates the second pillar of service to Islam, and that is service to community. Community activism. Doing something to benefit the people around you that are most in need. What is the most difficult need of any man? It is hunger. What is the most dire need when you don't have food? What can be worse than that? You don't have food to eat. So by indicating feeding the hungry, automatically all other social services are indicated. If you're supposed to feed the hungry, of course you take care of the orphan. Of course you give shelter to those who don't have shelter. You give clothes who are too cold, too hot, you give them clothes to wear. In other words, you take care of your community, those that need to be taken care of. Feeding the hungry is a part of Islam. Do you know, brothers and sisters, the first commandment of the Qur'an that Allah revealed after the command to worship Him alone, after the command of La ilaha illallah, the first commandment that Allah revealed in the Qur'an was not salah, 
It was not zakah. It was not hajj. It was not Ramadan. Those commandments would come more than a decade later. More than a decade. Hajj came 20 years after La ilaha illallah was revealed. Siyam came 14 years after La ilaha illallah was revealed. So what were the commands for the first decade and a half of Islam? Read the Quran. And then by Allah, let me ask myself and let me ask you, do we fulfill these basic requirements of Islam? The first commandment after La ilaha illallah was what? Allah describes the believers. Allah describes the believers. The believers are those who give up their own food, even though they need that food, they love that food, they share their food with those who are miskeen, yatim, asir, prisoners, orphans, wayfarers, poor people. And they say to these people, we're not doing this so that you thank us. No, no, no. We're not doing this so that you show a favor back unto us. Don't give us thanks. We are feeding you for the sake of our Lord. <inaudible> feeding the poor is an essential part of Islam. It is characterized with that of Iman. If you have Iman, you will feed the poor. If you don't have Iman, you will not feed the poor. The earliest surahs, the first 10 surahs revealed, this is one of them. The first 10 surahs, this is one of them. What does he do? The one who rejects the deen, the one who rejects the day of judgment, the one who rejects religion. What are the characteristics of the one who rejects the religion? He pushes away the orphan. And he does not encourage the feeding of the poor. Look at how Iman in Allah and Iman in a deen is linked with orphans and hunger. And look at how directly rejecting Allah and rejecting the deen is linked with not caring about the orphans and not caring about hunger. And wallahi, brothers and sisters, the sad reality, and I say this as somebody who is a part of our own community and criticizing myself, don't take this as a criticism of you only. We collectively have failed the methodology of the Prophet Muhammad Our communities are not known for feeding the hungry. It's not something that we are associated with. It is a shame on all of us that there are communities out there smaller than us Faith communities, good for them, I'm not criticizing them, it's a shame on us. Smaller faith communities whose names are associated with soup kitchens, with feeding the hungry, with sponsoring types of things that benefit the homeless, shelters. And our community, which alhamdulillah, mashallah, we keep on boasting, in five years will be the second largest faith community in America. We keep on boasting about this. Our community, has not, and I speak as somebody who has traveled much of this country, and if I'm wrong, please somebody correct me, not a single city of this land, not a single city, have the Muslims taken charge of feeding the hungry. I'm not saying they don't feed the hungry. I'm saying their presence is felt. There are faith communities and churches, and good for them, I'm not criticizing them. 
But we need to understand as Muslims, brothers and sisters, majority of Protestant churches are smaller than us numerically. The Episcopalians, the Lutherans, the Methodists, good for them what they're doing, I'm not criticizing, nobody misunderstand. But in terms of quantity, they don't have the 10 million we keep on boasting. There are 5 million, 7 million, smaller quantities. The mainline, old school Protestant churches are smaller than the Muslim community in North America. Yet, they are associated with charity work. The Methodist hospital, the Lutheran schools, each faith community has done something for the people around. And yet, we are, mashallah, tabarakallah, upper middle class. 10% of doctors are from America. Allah, Muslims are Muslim. 10% uh, of the doctors in America are Muslim. We all know how highly educated we are. Look at my community right now that I'm addressing, this community of San Jose. Look at your own status and background. All of you are middle, upper middle class, mashallah, tabarakallah. And I'm not criticizing just you, all the American Muslims. Wallahi, brothers and sisters, we have failed the prophetic methodology. This is not what our Prophet himself did. Remember when Khadija, when he comes running to Khadija, Zamiluni, Dathiruni. Remember when Iqra was revealed, Khadija covers him up. What does Khadija tell him? What is that paragraph that describes the life of the Prophet for 40 years before Iqra? La wallahi la yuhsikallahu abada. Know by Allah, Allah will never humiliate you. Why? You're good to your family, and you feed the hungry, and you sponsor the orphan, and you are hospitable to the guest, and you take part in every charitable need of society. Anything the community needs, they'll come to you for it. By Allah, I ask you, have we, have we done even a fraction of what the Prophet was known for? And for us, we think da'wah is about giving pamphlets and free Qurans and websites and shoving things down people's throats. Wallahi, most of da'wah is through actions, not speech. The bulk of da'wah is through your demeanor, your manners, what you do to your community. And that is why for 40 years, the Prophet did not open his mouth with la ilaha illallah. You need to develop social credibility. You need to demonstrate what is the reality of your faith tradition. Da'wah isn't just handing out pamphlets and knocking on doors. That's 1% of da'wah. 99% of da'wah. What does your religion teach you? Show us. Show us what does your religion teach you. The second commandment as he enters Medina. Feed the hungry. If we had truly followed this prophetic advice, then wallahi, Fox News would have gone bankrupt. They couldn't have smeared us. But instead, we are not associated with feeding the hungry. We're not associated with taking care of orphans. We're not associated with doing social work. What we are associated with is the exact opposite. Whether that's true or not, the association decides the point. If we had genuinely lived up to the prophetic methodology, everybody would have known, oh, the Muslims, they're the ones who are always at the soup kitchen. The Muslims, they're the ones feeding the hungry. I don't care what the news image shows. I have a Muslim neighbor. I see what he does. Feed the hungry. And remember, when it comes to hunger, our religion does not teach us, give Muslim, don't give to Kafir. No. Hunger is a universal problem. When the Quran was revealed in Mecca, there were no Muslim prisoners of war. There were no Muslim orphans, Muslim fuqara. Everybody was a pagan at the time. Five Muslims. And Allah tells them, you're going to give from your own food to the hungry. 
doesn't matter if you're an idol worshiper or a non-Muslim or a Muslim, a hungry child is a hungry child, full stop. And our religion does not ask us to discriminate when it comes to feeding the hungry. So the second pillar of our religion, social activism, community development, doing something for your society. The third pillar, we said there's four pillars. Number one is ethics and adab. Number two is social activism. Number three, wasilul arham. Be good to your family. Be good to your family. Of what use is it to be polite to strangers and colleagues when you're rude to your own family? Of what use is it to put on a face of being so nice and so and so decent, yet when you come inside and close the door and nobody sees you other than Allah, then your true side comes out. That is the hypocrite, brothers and sisters, and that is why, listen carefully, if your spouse respects you, then wallah, you are worthy of respect. If your spouse respects you, and your spouse knows this is a man or a woman who is decent, noble, dignified, honest, caring, and loving, then everybody will respect you. But if your spouse knows a different reality, that is why our Prophet ﷺ said, خيركم خيركم The best of you are those who demonstrate that bestness to their own families. And I am the best of you to my own family. Of what use is it, brothers and sisters, if other people think you're a good person when your own children know the reality to be opposite of that? When your own wife knows who you really are? If you cannot treat your own family with good, then you have failed at being good. And that is why Silul Arham is a fundamental aspect of our religion. Silatul Arham. Your immediate family and then your siblings and your uncles and aunts and cousins, each one given the right according to his or her due. The stronger the bond, the more the rights. So the parents and the children and the, and the, and the spouse have the, the, the strongest. And then the uncles and aunts and then the cousins, extended family. All of this is Silatul Arham. That is the third pillar. And when family is stable, society is stable. When family is strong, society is strong. When family is noble, society is noble. So this is the third pillar of our religion. Take care of your personal matters. Be socially active and, and good in the community. Take care of your family. And then last but not least, last but not least, and it is mentioned last because it is truly that which is private between you and Allah. Number four, Pray at night when everybody else is asleep. For us, Islam, only revolves around number four, rituals. We judge a person's Islam only by his rituals. And yet on the list it comes number four. How about his akhlaq? How about the purity of his heart? How about his social activism, giving back to the community? How about how he treats his own family? How can we ignore all of these things? I am not trivializing rituals, but rituals are a private matter between you and Allah. I don't need to judge your rituals, you don't need to judge mine. Pray at night when everybody's asleep. This is Salat al-Tahajjud. Why? Because when you master Tahajjud, you've mastered everything else. When you can pray Tahajjud, you're definitely praying the Fard and the Sunnah. When you're praying Tahajjud, you're giving Zakat and charity. So if you can pray Tahajjud, all the other good deeds are taken care of. So this is the ritual. Pray at night when everybody is asleep. Rituals are important, 
But keep them private between you and Allah. There are other things that are also important. If we do these four things, what is the one thing promised to us? You shall enter Jannah in Salah. You shall enter Jannah in peace without having touched Allah's anger and adab. If you can be a good person, good heart, clean heart, meet with people in the best of manners, if you can give to your community, if you can be a good father and a husband or a good wife and a spouse, and if you can have your worship and rituals done, if you guarantee me these four arenas, I guarantee you, you shall enter Jannah with peace. And this hadith, therefore, is hadith salam It underlines for us the four primary arenas that put together make you a good Muslim. Unfortunately, many of us, we ignore the first three. We jump on the fourth and everything just becomes ritual. Rituals are important. Nobody should say, I'm, I'm not saying it. Of course it's important. But rituals are one aspect. There is more to Islam than just rituals. And this hadith demonstrates for us that to be a good Muslim, there is much more than just mastering the art of report and sujood. There is the human element, the societal element, the family element, the personal element. When all of this is combined, that is when our Lord has promised us we shall enter Jannah in Salam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who enter it in Salam. my dear brothers and sisters in Islam, it is not a coincidence that this hadith is called Hadith al-Salam and our religion is called the religion of Islam because when we spread it, Salam, this is the best way of showing, showing submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our religion is the religion of Islam and submitting to Allah brings about internal Salam and external Salam. When we truly submit to Allah based upon the principles of this hadith, that is when we attain an inner satisfaction, an inner peace, and an outer peace in society. And of course, As-Salam is one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As-Salam is one of the names of Allah. So when we greet one another and we say, As-Salamu Alaikum, one of the ways to translate As-Salamu Alaikum, As-Salam, may Allah Alaikum be watchful over you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect you. Because As-Salam is one of the names of Allah. So when we say As-Salamu Alaikum, one of the meanings is also, may Allah who is As-Salam protect you with His Salam. May Salam from As-Salam descend upon you. And it is not a coincidence as well, brothers and sisters, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is calling us to submission and peace. Wallahu yad'u ila daris salam. And therefore Jannah is called Darus Salam. Why? Because that is where when you enter Jannah, you shall never feel any grief, 
any pain, any sorrow, any anguish, you shall be in perpetual salam. So Jannah itself is Darus Salam. And Allah is calling us to enter Darus Salam. And so He has commanded us to spread the salams in this world and to practice salam unto others and to believe in us salam. He has commanded us to spread His name and He has commanded us to embody the spirit of salam so that we may enter the abode of salam. And it is not a coincidence, brothers and sisters, that when the believers who believed in as-salam and worshipped as-salam and spread salam, when they enter Darus salam it is at that point in time that as-salam will greet them with the greetings of salam. Salamun qawlam min rabbil rahim. Because when as-salam greets those who believed in as-salam with the greeting of salam, as they enter Darus salam at that point in time, once as-salam has bestowed salam upon you, who can possibly harm you after that point in time? And so the believers will be greeted with the greetings of salam as they enter Darus salam May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us the believers of as-salam who enter Darus salam and are greeted with the greetings of salam by the as-salam. Allahumma inni da'in fa'aminu. Allahumma la da'a fi hadhi yawmi dhamman illa ghafarta wa la hamman illa farrajta wa la daynan illa qadayta wa la maridun illa shafayta wa la asiran illa yasir اللهم اغفر لنا ولإخواننا الذين سبقونا بالإيمان ولا تجعل في قلوبنا غلا للذين آمنوا ربنا إنك رؤوف رحيم اللهم أعز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم أعز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم أعز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم من أرادنا أو أراد الإسلام والمسلمين بالسوء فاجغله بنفسه واجعل تدميره في تدبيره يا قوي يا عزيز عباد الله إن الله تعالى أمركم بأمر بدأ به بنفسه وثنى لملائكة قدسه وثلث بكم أيها المؤمنون من جنه وإنسه فقال عز من قائل عليما إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك وأنعم على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين عباد الله إن الله تعالى يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وثالد القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغض يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم واشكروه يزد لكم ولذكر الله تعالى اكبر واقم الصلاه